have, uh, are continuing our way through the gospel of Matthew. Uh, today we turn to the Sermon on the Mount and we will be here for a couple weeks uh, as, as we work our way through. And so today we will be on a famous passage uh, known as the Beatitudes. And I have struggled this week of how to preach this because there's part of me that wants to preach each one individually, but we'd be here all day. And then another part just wants to preach the whole idea. And then another part of me says, you know, well, how could I do both uh, without losing y'all? And so I'm gonna, uh, gonna try to walk through and kind of do both in a way uh, that we'll, uh, we'll just look at actually just a couple and then look at them kind of in their broader sense. Uh, so we kind of get an idea of what all is going on here. But a couple things uh, for you to know before we read uh, the Beatitudes is uh, first, um, each Beatitude begins with the same Greek word. It's the word that we translate as blessed. Some of your Bibles might translate it as uh, happy, but the Greek word is the word makarios. And this word in Latin is where we get the word Beatitude. Okay, so when you look at it and you're like, Pastor, what, where in the world does Beatitude come from? Well, it's the Latin translation of the word makarios then moves us into the word beatitude. And in Greek, sometimes you'll see uh, what is called a makariism, which is just a blessing. And so we see uh, these words and they kind of help us understand them. Now, sometimes your Bibles, like I said, they might translate them happy is the one or fortunate, uh, but really the, the best translation here really is blessed. But the other issue is it's not just a blessing. It's a blessing that comes from somewhere. And in this context, it's a blessing that comes from where? From, from God. And so as we read these, uh, really the way, I won't read it this way, but the way I would really like to read it is as we walk through these is to be able to say, blessed or blessed by God are those who mourn or blessed by God are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because that's really the full context of what, is, what Jesus is saying here. So that's kind of the, the, the first thing I want you to see. But there's kind of two statements that I want you to really see as we look at the Beatitudes before we get into them. And the first uh, statement of this is the statement that the Beatitudes, or sorry, God's, God's action in, uh, is the acting agent behind the blessing, okay? We're gonna, this, we're gonna keep coming back to this because this is, might be the most important thing that I say all day. And it's right here at the beginning. So that's dangerous because then I'll lose you. But God is the acting agent behind this blessing, when Jesus makes these statements, Jesus is not just making these statements and just hoping they might come true. He is making them knowing that there is an acting agent that will bring them about. And who is that acting agent? His father. So the first thing I want you to see as we read these is, is that there is an acting agent in this and that acting agent is God. The second thing is, is this word makarios in Greek or blessing is, the, is used or is said in the indicative mood. Now, there might be one other person in the room that has any idea why that's important. So let me just kind of tell you a little bit about why this is important. In Greek, there are different moods. Let me give you a couple examples. One of those moods is an imperative mood. So if you say something in the imperative mood, imperative is a command, right? So if you say, when my kids were little, some of you are still have little ones at home, and so you probably say this every single night, which is, go to bed. Okay, that's a command. We're not having a discussion. I'm mom, I'm dad, and I'm telling you, go to bed. Now, if this was in Greek, we would say this is in the imperative mood. 
Okay, it's not up for debate. I'm the boss. You are not. Go to bed. Okay, I feel like I've I've, I've said that too well because I've said that before. So the imperative mood is a is a command. All right. Another mood that we see in Greek is the subjunctive mood. So the subjunctive mood is something that we you know it might rain this afternoon. Okay, or um, you know, it's kind of there's some there's a subjective or sense to what we are saying. This might happen, this might not happen, all right? You're gonna have fun this afternoon, okay? That's subjective. You might, you might not, okay? I'm gonna enjoy my nap this afternoon. That sounds more like an imperative. No, but that would be subjunctive because you hope that you enjoy. So those, that is a subjunctive. However, here is indicative. Now, why is that important? Because the indicative mood is a statement that is true. If I was to say to you, the sky is blue, or up above all those clouds out there, the sky is blue, that would be in what? The indicative mood. It is true. It's not to be argued. It is true. And so when we read these statements, Jesus is making these statements not as something that is an ideal, not as something that he hopes might happen somewhere down the road. He is making these statements as truths. Now, if we take point one and point two and we combine those two points, what do we learn? Jesus is making these statements as truths, and because he's making them as truths, he knows they are truth. Why? Because God is the acting agent behind the blessing, because these are statements from God. Okay, you with me? So as we read these, I want you to be thinking about those things because they're important statements as we go through this. Now, before we read them, one more thing I want to do is I want to give you a little bit of context because I think one of the things we kind of miss when we split things into chapters is we miss what's going on right before this. So Jesus has begun his ministry. Last week, we had the temptation of Jesus. If you, if you look back at chapter four, temptation of Christ, he begins his ministry, which is where we ended. He calls some of his first disciples. And then we pick up chapter four, verse 23 says to us, now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all of those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon possessed, the epileptics and the paralytics. And he, what? Healed them. So large crowds followed him from Galilee to Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So Jesus goes through doing what? Healing. Healing those with diseases and sicknesses, afflicted, suffering, intense pain, demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics. And what we don't know is how many of those people who were healed are now with him as they climb this mountain as Jesus begins teaching. But I can tell you something. If I hadn't walked my whole life, and now I could walk, I know where I'm going. I'm going wherever that guy goes. And so we don't know the full context. We don't know who all is sitting out there. But I think we could probably kind of guess, in the subjunctive mood, we could guess that there are probably some people there that have been touched by Jesus. So they're hearing these words, and so these are the words that Jesus says to them. So chapter 5, verse 1. 
When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are a blessing when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this beginning of this sermon uh, that Jesus is teaching and one thing just to kind of add to this As we're thinking about this, as we go through this over the next few weeks, remember, this is all one sermon, all right? This is one big sermon. We're going to break it up into pieces, but this is all one big sermon. So this is his opening of his sermon. So a couple things kind of I want you to see as we we do this, but I want you to be reminded of the two statements, all right? Because these are very, very important as we move forward. The two statements, we've already talked about them. I know. I'm repeating them. First, God is the acting agent behind the blessing. And the second, I kind of rewrote, because I want you to see what I'm trying to say here. The second one is blessed, blessed is spoke, spoken by Jesus as what? As, as truth. It is truth. Jesus is speaking truth to the crowds. Jesus is speaking truth to us. So we can, we can hear this and we can go to something like verse 3. We're going to go just through two of them. But we have verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for, theirs, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed. Blessed are you who live in the poverty of your spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. Blessed are you who live with a debilitating disease and sickness, who are afflicted, who are suffering, who have intense pains, who are demon-possessed, who are epileptics, who are paralytics. For the kingdom that I'm pronouncing, remember a few weeks ago, the Basileia, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that I'm pronouncing, it's your kingdom. This is a kingdom for you, for you that are hurt, for you that are poor in your spirit. This kingdom is for you. And Jesus continues as we go into verse four. Blessed are those who mourn or blessed are those who grieve for they will be comforted. Now this is an incredible statement, not just because of what Jesus says, it's an incredible statement because of what Jesus doesn't say. What Jesus doesn't say is, so those of you that have been grieving I mean, it's been going on like six months. It's time to get over it. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't tell us 
that the grief isn't real. Jesus doesn't tell us that the pain isn't real. But in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the grief, whether it's been a month, whether it's been 10 years, whether it's been 30 years, Jesus makes a pronouncement to us, blessed are you. Those of you that mourn, you will be comforted. You're blessed. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the things that you don't understand, you're blessed. That Jesus pronounces a blessing upon them in the midst of the grief, Makarios. Blessed. Blessed are you because God meets you in your grief. And because God meets you there, you are blessed. Now, let's kind of, let's zoom back out, okay? We just looked at two, but let's kind of zoom out because if it would take us all day or take us, a, we would miss lunch. Let's zoom out and kind of look at, look at all of them kind of more as, as a whole. Okay, we've looked at two. Let's look at all of them as a whole. Now, I've given you two points. I, re- I went back over those two points. So now let's do them again, but I combined them into one point. All right, so the first two points, I'm gonna combine them into one point because hopefully by the time we're done, you're gonna know what these two points are. All right, so here's both of those points put into one point. The Beatitudes are true based on the authority of the one who spoke. Okay, you with me? What makes them true? Because God is the acting agent behind them and because Jesus spoke them, they are true. So if you're mourning, if you're grieving, if you're poor in spirit, you're humble, all of those things, they are true because God is the one who spoke them. Now, what do we learn from this? One of the things that we learn from this is that the experience of the present doesn't define the future. Your experience in the present, whatever it is you are going through, doesn't define what the future looks like. You hear me? So, Wherever we find ourselves standing, Jesus says to us, if you are mourning, you will be comforted. If you have poverty in spirit, if you are broken, guess what? The kingdom that I'm pronouncing, the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom is yours. It's for you. Those of you who are humble, you know the way that you inherit the earth It's by domination, it's by political power, it's by taking things over. But in this kingdom, it's the humble. It's the people that walk away from those things. Those are the ones that inherit. And so the experience of what we are going through doesn't define our future. The experience of what we are living through currently doesn't define our future. The second thing I want you to see, and I'm going to have to talk about this one for a little bit, all right? Because you're, you're not going to be comfortable with it. But hopefully by the time I'm done explaining it, you will be comfortable. Here we go. The Beatitudes are unconditional, performative language, and they bring into being the truth they state. Now, there's a word in there that some of you might be uncomfortable with, and that's okay. And the word is performative. Because we, have, we think that if we perform something, that means that it's fake. You go up as an actor and you perform something, and that, does, that means that it's not real. That's not the way the performative is used in this statement. 
There are things that we perform, and in the act of performing them, we create them. I've, I might have told you all this story before, but my, so my parents, when they got married, they got married in Nashville First Church, the Nazarene. There's a little chapel over to the side. It's not there anymore, but it was called Wise Chapel. They got married in the Wise Chapel. My uh, great uncle, uh, or my dad's uncle, Archie, was the one, he was a Presbyterian uh, minister, and Archie was the one that performed their wedding ceremony. And so he performed the wedding ceremony. The ceremony was done. They signed the marriage certificate. My mom gave the marriage certificate to her mom and said, hey, on Monday, can you take this to the courthouse? My parents leave for North Carolina for their honeymoon. My grandmother takes the, the marriage license down to the courthouse on Monday, and she gives it to the clerk, and the clerk looks at it, and she's like, oh, um, the minister, he didn't sign the right line. Okay, now, this was like 1960s. My grandmother spent a week because my parents were living in sin on their honeymoon in North Carolina because my uncle Archie did not sign the right line. And when they got back, she was mortified because they were not married. Now, we chuckled. Do you know why? Because what happens is those of us that are married, there is a moment that as guys, we, this is probably the way most of us happen, that we stood in front of a church or in front of something. We stood before our friends and our family. The bride, our bride, walked down the aisle. We stood, we looked at one another, we recited words, we performed words. And in the performance of those words, we walked back down that aisle as different people. Something new had been created by the performance. Now, was the performance real? Absolutely, 100%. But the piece of paper that gets filed at the courthouse, it is very important. Make sure you do it. However, it's not what makes you married. What makes you married was standing before God, before your family, and reciting vows and looking one another in the eye. And God blesses that. And in that performance, you created something new. Do you know what you created? A family. And in that performance, there was a new creation that was done as that family. And you walked out that aisle and you were just as married when you got down that aisle as you are today. Whether you've been married 50 years, whether you've been married, what, Christopher and Caitlin, two years? Two years? You're just as married. And so in that performance, the Beatitudes are unconditional performative language. And in that performance, that performance is not fake. Get that out of your head. The performance is as real as anything else in this world. In that performance, you are creating something. God is creating something. And in that performance... That new creation, the Beatitudes are creating something and they bring forth the truth that they state. So when we have weddings, we do this. When we have baptisms, we do this. When we have communion, we do this. These are things that bring about new life. They are means of grace. They are part of how God acts and creates something new in our lives. And the Beatitudes live in that same world 
where they are creating something. So you come and you say, I am the one who mourns. I am the one who is hurt. I am the one. And God says to you, you are blessed. You are blessed. Now, if we were to take these, these two statements, okay, the two statements we just went through, the experience of the present does not define the future, and the Beatitudes are unconditional, performative language. They bring the truth they state, or they bring into being the truth they state. If we were to take these two statements and we would combine them into one, what happens? Well, we, we end up at the cross. When we end up at the cross, what happens? Well, we end up at the cross, and we are just a, a few weeks away from Lent, and as, as we go through the story, we're going to be moving closer and closer to the cross as we follow the story of Matthew. But as we move to the cross, we, we are reminded of some things. Because, see, the cross was what? It was, it was a torture device. It's an ancient torture device. And this man who these disciples have put everything, they have put their trust, they have put their life, they have put everything in him. He is hanging beaten and bruised on this cross and there is no hope. The present defined the future. And the future, the one they had been following was now dead. The one they were following has now gone all of their hope, all of their life, everything was put in him, and he's gone. It's over, guys. When we get to Holy Saturday, this is, I wish there was a way that we could somehow capture Holy Saturday at the level that the apostles experienced Holy Saturday. It's over. It's done. Because in the world, the cross defines for us the loss of hope, the cross defines for us, the loss of life, the cross defines for us all of those things that we hoped and we dreamed for, they are gone. If you're mourning, you've got something to mourn about. If you are poor in your spirit, you, you, you better be. This is bad. And the story of the cross is a story that reminds us that there is no hope, there is nothing else, there is nothing about the future that is good. That's the story. And then what happens? God says, you're blessed. God tells those disciples, you're blessed. And even though you hurt, even though you're lost, you're blessed. And on that Sunday morning, as those ladies went to the tomb, what did they find? They, they found a story that had changed. The place where there was no hope is, is now a new story. The place that was lost now has new life. The cross that was nothing but loss, the cross that was nothing but pain, has become a tomb. And when they arrive at the tomb that day, they also arrive at an empty tomb. They arrive at a place that God pulls the people in and says, blessed. 
Your, your current circumstance of the cross, your current circumstance of the pain doesn't define the future. And the story of Christ, the story of Holy Week, the story of Easter is a story that reminds us that there is something else after pain. There is something else after grief. There is something else that pulls us into new life. And the rehearsal of the story is the story that tells us you're blessed. God is pulling us into a future of hope and promise, that God is pulling us into a place where life exists, that God is pulling us into a place where we're blessed. And the empty tomb is the reminder that all the signs of wealth and power, that all the things that we think this is what makes life good, this is what makes things right, this is what fixes everything, that, that those things don't ultimately win. But what ultimately wins is a crucified God in an empty tomb and life. But here's the thing. When we read these words, they're one sermon. That Jesus doesn't stop the Beatitudes right here. That Jesus doesn't stop the story here. But Jesus says to us, if you are a people, you are blessed. That you are a community and a community that follows after God, and as that community, you are blessed. And if you are a people who are blessed, you don't remain idle. But you begin to move. A community who hears itself pronounced blessed by its Lord doesn't remain idle, but acts in accord with the reign of the kingdom of God. And so what does Jesus do as soon as he finishes these words? Jesus speaks to the community. If, if you're blessed, let me tell you what blessed people do. Blessed people are the salt of the earth. But if salt could lose its taste, how could it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What does salt do? Salt, salt gives it life. Salt gives the bland food something that we talk about. And Jesus says to us, community, if you want to be something that the world is talking about, you are what gives them something to talk about. Power. Fighting, all of these other things, that, that's, that's nothing new. It's nothing exciting. That's what the world does all the time. You want to know what you do? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. You are what brings life to this world, what people talk about. And he continues on. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives it, gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, blessed people, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
What does Jesus say to us? And give glory to who? To the Father in heaven. Because he is the one behind the action. He is the one behind the blessing. He is the one behind the empty tomb. And guys, this morning, I know that when we come together, that when we come together, there are things that we bring. We bring our grief, we bring our hurts, we bring our pain, we bring those moments that we look and all we see is the brokenness and the hurt of a cross. And it's hard to move to that empty tomb. This morning, I want you to hear a word. It's not from me. It's from our Savior. He calls us blessed. He calls us blessed. Because we are a people who have a God who in the darkest moments brings us into light. And the story of the cross is the story that reminds us time and time again However we are broken, there is a God who heals, there is a God who loves, but there is a God who is blessing us. And today, as we close, that's what I would like for us to do, is to sing a song that reminds us that the cross pulls us closer, and in pulling us closer, gives us new hope and new life. This morning, as we close, uh, we will close as we normally do. Um, I'll be right down here at this altar if anyone would like to be anointed for healing. If you'd like to pray with a pastor, Randy could, will meet you just right over here. But for some of us, we might just need to find a place to pray to say, I, I've been overwhelmed by the grief, by the hurt. I've been overwhelmed by all of these other things. And I need to come to be reminded that I'm blessed that the Lord has spoken hope into my life. He has spoken blessing into my life. So today, I just invite you, if you want to come and find a place to pray and to say, God, I need to hear you call me blessed because I forgot. The hope in the life that God offers is the hope in the life of Easter. And I pray that we open up our hearts to what God is doing and saying and saying, you're blessed. Let us stand as we sing.